Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about kingdom priorities. Kingdom priorities. How many of y'all know, if you haven't been here for a while, amen, or you just a guest with us this morning, is that the Lord has radically changed the direction of this church, this ministry, for the better. I said for the better. It's an improvement, okay? A refocusing of, of things, okay? And how many of y'all know this is a little review for some of you? Jesus Christ did not come to the earth to, to start a religion. Amen. Jesus Christ did not come to the earth to, to start, to found Christianity. Some people have mistakenly said, well, Jesus was the founder of Christianity. No, he wasn't. Christianity is a religion that man made around what the Lord Jesus did. Jesus came to restore the kingdom. Jesus came to restore mankind. And I'll say this just so folks, you know, some people I know that upsets our traditional religious apple cart. But you understand, remember when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And the Lord spoke to him and and Jesus was revealed in all of his glory. And the first thing Peter said, Peter didn't know what to mean. Think about it. You stand in there. Here's Jesus. Here's here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's your rabbi. You've been with him for three years. And all of a sudden, the glory of God shines around about him. And he's just revealed as the glorified, the Word, the Son of the living God right before you. And you just be speechless. And people will, will, will grasp for something to say. And Peter said, Woo, Lord, it was good for us to be here. You know, Elijah and Moses appeared. And he said, Woo, Lord, it is good for us to be here. He said, Let's build a tab- three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, how many of y'all know that is a messed up priority right there because he's putting Elijah and Moses on equal ground with Jesus? Tells me he still didn't have a real good revelation of who Jesus was. Okay? But you understand, what was his first inclination? His first inclination was to get religious. Oh, we need to build a tabernacle. And then we've got to have a ritual. How many of y'all, you understand that, that, like I said, Christianity is a religion that man has built around what Jesus did. Jesus came to restore what was lost. And you'll notice we're looking, you know, we're looking, what was the God's original intent? We've heard that a lot the past month. God's original intent. Look at the man, look at man in the garden. There were, there were no church services. There was no, uh, there was no, uh, you know, choirs and there was no church programs and all that stuff. And you understand all that stuff's good, okay? I'm not saying don't come to church. That might be the impression that a bunch of people think. Amen. It's not. But you understand that what we're working toward and is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now, don't think that we're thinking it's all arrived now, okay? Read in Isaiah. It said the government, with Isaiah chapter 9, it says that the government was upon his shoulder and of the increase of his government there'd be no end. So that tells me it's a progressive thing, okay? Look in Daniel. When, when Daniel saw the, the image that, that was uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the image that had the head of gold, the arms and shoulders of silver, the stomach of brass and legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay mixed. What did that represent? It represented the kingdoms or the governments of man, right? And what was the rest of the dream? The dream was there was a stone that was cut out of the mountain, not by man's hand, that came down and smote the image on its feet. In other words, what, what are we talking about? It hit the governments. It hit the kingdoms and the governments of the earth on their feet and destroyed them. And so, can we say it replaced them? Amen. And it says that that stone grew and grew and grew till it was a huge mountain that filled the entire earth. 
Okay, so we're talking about what Jesus started. The kingdom started, but the increase is, is still coming. It's growing. It's more now than what it was on the day of Pentecost. And it's going to come to a culmination when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. But we are in the kingdom and it is growing and it's progressing, okay? And so we need to understand that, that Jesus, you know, he, you have a purpose. You've been called into the kingdom. And we dropped this bomb on everybody a few weeks ago. Jesus did not die on the cross to save you so you could go to heaven and live forever when you died. Amen. That was not your original place. Read the rest of the book. People say all the time, you know, if we thought about what we said, there's a lot of stuff that we say we believe, but if somebody starts elaborating on what you said you believe, you really don't believe it. Because it's it's foreign to you. You say, oh, I read the back of the book and we win. Really? You read the back of the book and we win. Did you read the part where the new the, 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 the gates of pearl and the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and all that, the holy city that we read about, that it came down from God out of heaven onto a new earth? Amen. We all people say we believe that. Oh, I read it and I believe. But do you understand that God's original intent was that He created man and placed man on the earth to have dominion and rule and reign over the earth and that God would have fellowship with man and that the the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught, it wasn't just a mantra or a chant or something. It's a pattern and an outline for prayer. It's not you learn it as a kid and that's good, but it's an outline for prayer. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? In heaven? No, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, when He was teaching His disciples to pray, He said to pray, and your prayer should be, God, your will be done where? On earth. When? Right now. Not sometime in the, in the way off in the distant future. Right now. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. God's, God's will and God's commandments are carried out without hesitation in heaven. And that's the way He wants us as His children, us who are in the kingdom of God, is that when we see it in the Word, when the Holy Spirit speaks, then you need to train yourself. That, number one, you need to train yourself to hear the voice of the Spirit. But then you need to train yourself that when He says do something, you do it immediately. Because you'll procrastinate and you'll put it off and it won't get done. Or you'll miss your window of opportunity when the Holy Spirit told you to do something. And it could be something. It might be as simple as speaking to someone in Walmart that pushed a buggy past you. It might be some. I remember there was a gentleman I went to church with when I was a kid growing up, and he's like the church grandfather. And I was living in Tulsa, and I think I may actually have been living. Uh, I think I was living in Tulsa at the time, and came back in to see him, and he had been sick, and he was on you know on a sick bed in his home, and. And the Lord told me, the Lord didn't tell me, go lay hands on him, pray for him, be healed. He wasn't believing to be healed. He, was, he wanted to die. He, he was ready to go on. He had fought, his, uh, he'd fought the good fight. He'd kept the faith. He'd run the race. He was ready to go on home. And, and the Lord just put my heart said, said, he'd been out of church for several months. The Lord said, I want you to go have communion with him and wash his feet in his house. And I did it. And that's the last time I got to see him. He died before I ever got to see him again. Okay? And it's being led by the Holy Spirit, learning to hear the voice of the Spirit and respond immediately. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as in heaven. Immediate response. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you do it. Amen. You don't say, why? You don't say, you know, why, why do you want me to do that, Lord? When you know it's... Because this thing says, well, I just don't know if I can tell, if I can discern the Lord's voice or not. You're in trouble then. Because the Word says, His sheep know His voice. Amen. Come on now, if you can't recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, maybe you need to check out whose fold you in. Because just because you went to an altar and apologized doesn't mean you got born again. Amen? amen? And so we're talking... <laughs> amen? I thought we were talking about kingdom priorities. We are talking about 
<coughs> kingdom priorities. His will being done on earth just as it is in heaven. Okay? And I want to talk to you about the priority of the kingdom of God. First of all, you know, we've, you know, how many of y'all know you need to know your purpose in life? We've been driving that in, pounding it in, driving it home, teaching it, teaching it, teaching it. Well, Pastor, we've heard about purpose before. When are you going to preach something different? When the Holy Spirit releases me from it. Okay? Because I, I just believe that the Holy Spirit, He knows what we need better than I know. And so until the Holy Spirit releases me from speaking and ministering on this subject and along these grounds, I'm going to stay right here because He obviously knows somebody is going, bing, bing, bing. It's just bouncing right off of you. Okay? And so we need to get it. Purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is something that is set up as an object or an end to be attained. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Some of you are taking notes. Some of you need to. Amen? But not everybody has to. But purpose, something set up as an object or an end to be attained. Let's put it this way. Something to be strived for. It's a, a purpose is something that you are putting forth effort to attain. How many of you all know purpose is never attained without effort? You can, have, you can have purpose assigned to you, but the purpose will never be attained. The goal will never be reached without striving. Nobody ever starts a race and gets to the, gets the checkered flag without putting forth some effort. You've got to stick it in gear and pop that clutch and stick the, stick the pedal to the floor and put forth effort to get to the, to the goal, right? So if there's a purpose, because you understand purpose, the goal in a race, okay? In a race, the goal is the checkered flag. Okay? And so, because there's a purpose, it demands action. You're called to action. There is no way that you can have purpose, have a revelation of your purpose, and not be putting forth effort to get it. You'll, you will never get it. Well, you know, I just believe if God wants it to happen, it will. Really? Yeah, because you know everything that happens God, is God's will. Really? There's people dying and going to hell every day. Is that God's will? No? Okay? There's, there's innocent children that are being destroyed in their mother's womb in this country by the millions every year. Is that God's will? No, it's not. So that tells me that mankind's will has a little something to do with it, doesn't it? Why does the Word say... You know, the Bible says that when they went out and preached the Gospel, <coughs> it says the, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the Word with signs following. The Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. Well, I just believe if God wants to do it, He'll do it. Well, you know what? Entire nations have perished because of that attitude. God wanted to do something. God wanted... You, know what? <coughs> you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, <coughs> let's look at the Word. Why don't you believe that? You believe something, you better have some Word for it, hadn't you? Remember reading over in the book of Ezekiel that God was speaking to the prophet and He said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and pray for him that judgment wouldn't be executed and I couldn't find anybody. Hmm? Need another example? How about when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and He went to Abraham and Abraham interceded for Him. And it was it, what was sad there, God was looking for someone to intercede to spare the city, but He couldn't even find... When Abraham began to bargain and to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, He couldn't even find five righteous people in the city to get the city spared. God works together with man on earth. Why? Go back to Genesis. God created man. Let us create Him in our image. Let us give Him dominion. Over the earth. What's dominion? The right to rule, reign, and exercise authority over. God, that, I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. God gave man the authority and dominion on the earth. That's why we have to pray and ask God to do things because God gave the authority to man. And, God, and, and, Peter, and this sounds so foreign to a lot of people, but read the Bible. 
makes sense. Why would you have to pray? If God's going to do everything He wants to do, whether we ask Him to or whether we cooperate or not, why bother to pray? And let's just be honest, for millions of believers, that's what they believe and that's why their prayer life doesn't mean anything to them. Well, God's going to do what He wants to do anyway. What's the bother of praying? Case or else raw, whatever will be, will be. Hmm? We've got to have a kingdom mindset. You've got to have a kingdom priority. God has given us, but you need to have a purpose. You need to be seeking God. God, what is my purpose? You need to have an ear to listen to God. What is your purpose? Okay, because this thing, not everybody's going to be called to full-time pulpit ministry, but everybody's called to full-time ministry. I've said this before. Your, your job is not your work. We'll say it again. Your job is not your work. Your job is the place that God has placed you in to earn a living, to make a living, but your work is to advance the kingdom. And every day that you're on your job, you ought to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to do the work that you've called me to? Because my purpose, your purpose is bigger than growing cotton. Your purpose is bigger than training horses. Your purpose is bigger than cutting timber. Your purpose is bigger than selling swans. Huh? Your purpose is bigger. God's ju- that's just the places and the avenues that God's placed you in to do the work of advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? Your purpose. Amen? And this is the next thing. Pur- when you have purpose... Purpose demands priority. Once you have a clear revelation of your purpose, you are, you need, it demands priority. What is priority? Mm, listen to this. Sometimes, sometimes we think because we use words that we know what they mean, and you can use them in the right context. Listen to what priority means. Priority means something given or meriting attention before competing alternatives. I'm going to say that again. Priority, something given or meriting attention before competing alternatives. That means that there are, it's multiple choice. Every day of our life, it's multiple choice. Do do A, B, C, D, or E? Well, what's A? What's B? What's C? What, you know, and what demands that something, if something is given priority, it's given attention before the other things. You prioritize things. You manage your time. And that's the next thing here. What, what demands priority is time. The fact that you only got so many heartbeats between wah, wah, and, you know, now I lay you down. You only got so many heartbeats. You've gotten, you've got an amount of time that we are, that we operate in, okay? You understand this? The most common thing that causes things to be given priority is time. Time, time places constraints. How many of y'all have heard the phrase time constraints? Time constraints, okay? Time because we, you have a limited amount of it. Understand this? Your purpose demands that it's given priority. Once you discover your purpose, it demands priority. And what causes it to demand priority is you've only got so much time. You've only got so much time to do things. And so because you have priority, you think, okay, my prior, my, you know, just this is a simple example. Okay. Do I want to, you know, do I want to go out and hang out with the guys, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, once a week I got to have my guy time. Once a week, I gotta have my guy time, and I go out and I'm gonna hang out four or five hours with the guys every week, every week. And my children are only gonna be small one time. And could I take that time? And that's not saying you don't have time. It's just saying give priority to stuff. It's just saying manage your time wisely. How do you be led by the Holy Ghost? That might be come to you. Know, it might be okay every once in a while to go out and spend something like this, but the Holy Spirit might say, Mm-mm. 
your boys, you know, take that time and, and, and speaking to me, he might say, you need to take that time and take your boy, you know, take him over to Chick-fil-A, get him something to eat, let him go play, and just hug on him, love on him, let him spend time with him. Do what he wants to do. Ask him what he wants to do and spend some time. Why? Because I've only got a short amount of time. Clay, Clay's never going to be three years old again. He's going to be four uh, next month. He's never going to be three again. I can't ever go back and spend time with him as a three-year-old anymore. When he's four, I'm never going to be able to go spend any more time. When he, gets, when he turns five, four-year-old's gone. And so you understand that time demands that priority. And you understand there's competing, there are competing alternatives. There is, could I spend time with my son, teaching him, letting him know that I love him and that he is the most precious thing on the world to me. He is a gift from God to me. I receive him. Or, you know, do I go hang out with the boys? Do I go do my own thing? Do I say, hey, shut up and go in your room and let me play Xbox all evening? That's a simple example, but I like to try to keep it simple so you understand. But because there's time constraints... You have to give a priority, priority, given, giving attention before competing alternatives. You understand this? Time is the most precious commodity that you have. It's not your dollars. It's not your euros. It's not gold. It's time. Okay? It's the most valuable currency we possess, and you can never get more of it. Amen. When you spend it, it's gone. Dollars, you can get more. Huh? I've been, I've, you know, Paul said, I've learned to uh, uh, have abundance, and I've learned to, uh, to live in lack. Huh? I've been there. I've known what it's been like to be someplace where I had a very good salary and everything was comfortable. And I know how it is to uproot and move your family and go someplace else where you experience times of lack. God meets all your needs, but there's not a lot of abundance. So there's a time, you know, you know there's a time that, 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 that you can be abundant. But guess what? You can always get more dollars. Okay, so I took a so I took a big pay cut. Come down here to be a big guy. Oh, give me a big medal! Wow, you know, like I said over in Luke, where Jesus said, "When you've done all that you've said that you have that the master's commanded you to do, all you can say is, I'm an unprofitable servant, and I've only done that which was required of me.' Okay, I don't get no kudos for being obedient to God. He owns me. He owns me. He tells me what to do. I've, I've said so. If I did what I wanted to do, I'd have went on to law school. And I'd probably be living over on a farm on Coffee County. Amen. <laughs> have a house built behind a pond someplace. And my boys could have a big farm to run around and live on. Why didn't you do that, Brian? Could, didn't I have the grades? No, I had great grades. I put my grades up against anybody's. But the point is, is because the Master said, this is what you're called to do. You don't do your own thing. You didn't clear that with me. You talk with me because I own you. If I'm Lord, it means I'm the boss. You don't do your own thing. You understand we're in a kingdom, and like Pastor Earl has said before, is that the most dangerous concept in the kingdom is independence. I can do my own thing. I can do no, no, no. This ain't no democracy. Amen. It's the kingdom. Well, I got to say, I got an opinion. My say counts. No, it don't. You ain't in America. You're in the kingdom of God. Amen. And the and the word of the king is what counts. And the pastor's not the king. You understand? I'm not, I'm not padding up the position of the pastor saying, I'm the king, I'm the final word. The king is the Lord. The word is the final word. The word of the king. In a kingdom, your opinion don't matter. In a kingdom, your opinion gets you chucked in the jail. Because <laughs> you ain't got no freedom of speech. And so if we're going to learn to live in the kingdom and prosper in God's kingdom, we need to understand the concepts and to live and abide by the concepts of the kingdom. Amen? Um, you understand this? Time demands that the most important things are given priority or, it, or the time is wasted and lost forever. Okay? And y'all just know this is just the introduction. Okay? <laughs> Amen? Time demands that the most important things are given priority or it's wasted and lost forever. I'll say this, okay? 
is, you know, my grandfather used to say, you can tell how good of a, of a Christian someone is by looking at their checkbook. Well, you can also tell what someone's priorities are by looking at their, at their calendar. Okay? Now, don't anyone get the wrong idea and think pastor's saying, oh, you know, I, what are we going to do? We've got to work with it. Yeah, I know that. And I'm not saying that. But we all, and I guarantee you all of us, if we look at our calendar, there's some things that are extracurriculars. That's, that's robbing our time that God would have for us to do something to advancing the kingdom. And it's coming in and it's still, and guess what? You'll never get it back. Never. It's gone, okay? You understand this? Time keeps you aware of your progress. I'll say it again. Time keeps you aware of your progress. What do you mean, Pastor? How is speed measured? Miles per hour. Time is how we measure our progress. You know, you're talking speed, miles per hour. You know, if you're going 60 miles per hour, you've had a 60-minute time period to see the amount of distance you've covered. You've covered 60 miles in that hour. Time is how time tracks our progress. Okay, in the natural. Now you understand this that sometimes you'll be doing something spiritually that time that time doesn't matter. Just your obedience is what matters. And you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. Some people say, oh, you know, the church has been there. How long, how long has the church been there? You realize that this church has only been here since October. Amen. For all intents and purposes. Okay, I know we had Life Bible Church that we started in September of, of uh, 09, 08. Okay? But Anchor Faith Church of Valdosta. And guess what? I'm not competing with anybody. I'm not looking at someone and going, oh, well, you know, such and such, they had 100 members by then. Well, what are they doing to change the city? Amen. They all just getting together and have a little bless me club? Go hear a little word and, and hear a little music that they can't even raise their hands to. I, I'm not competing with anyone. I'm, I'm fulfilling my assignment that God gave me. And I'm going to tell you what. This is the thing. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, if you give me Gideon's 300. Amen. Some people say, yeah, I bet you'd like to have 300 people. I speak in figuratively. Amen. You, give me, you give me, if I have to take the smaller amount of people to turn the city on its ear for Jesus Christ and for the gospel of the kingdom of God, I'm going to take it. Because guess what? It's ain't, I ain't bragging about you know, all these people. Oh, I've got 300 people, I've got 400 people. So what? What are you doing to change the city? What are you doing to change? How many, how many people? Because you understand, as a pastor, my role, my call is to teach you the Word of God in a way that it will change the way you believe. It will change the way you live and act. And if that's not happening, there's a short circuit someplace. Either I'm not doing my job or you're not receiving the Word. Because the, you understand this. I was talking to Pastor Angie uh, on Wednesday night. We were talking about, you'll meet some people that will say, well, you know what, bless God, I believe the Word the same way I did 20 years ago. I still believe it the same way. You know what you just told me? You're not growing. That you're closed-minded. That you're a spiritual moron, really. Because you understand there's some things, yeah, the, the blood of Jesus, the virgin birth, but how many of y'all know in 20 years, you ought to be getting some fresh revelation on some things. You ought to be reading the Word and say, glory to God, I've read that all my life and never seen that. You need, we need to be growing, we need to be growing. And time, the time is precious, and so time demands that we give priority to your purpose. Amen? Ecclesiastes 3.1, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you real quick. And it kind of is setting, helping us set the tone here. It says, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And it goes on, you, you've probably heard it, you know, if you, if you ever heard the Beatles sing the song, you know, there's time to plant, time, plant, time to reap, there's a time to kill, a time to heal. Okay, there's times. And for everything under heaven, there's a time and there's a season, but you need to realize there's times for, there's times for leisure. 
There's a time that it's just good that you take off and, and you go on a cruise, take your wife on a cruise someplace. I ain't talking to Mom and Dennis, I'm talking to Eddie and Martha because they went. It's, there's a time, amen, all the women said, Amen, you know, praise the Lord. There's a time for leisure. There's a time just to kick back and, you know, spend a few hours, you know, on a Saturday watching a football game and just, and just laying back and leisure and relaxing. But there's a time to work too. There's a time to do things. And you understand that it, that, that, that purpose, and that's the core of it all, finding your purpose, finding the purpose, purpose demands the, and time demands that priority be given to things. And so there's times for leisure. This ain't like one of those things where I'm like pastors cracking the whip and saying, oh, if you ain't busy doing something for the kingdom all the time, you know, you're sorry. Sometimes just sitting down and watching a football game with someone and enjoying their company. Is it, it can be advancing, you know, you're spending time together. But there's a time for all things, amen? And what, and, and so if we look at Jesus, Jesus is our example, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, if we call ourselves believers, I don't even like to use the word Christian anymore because it's become so jaded. But if we are believers, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, and He is our example, Jesus said over in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, you'll remember this, when Jesus was just 12 years old and He's teaching in the temple, amen, and, they, and, and Mary and Joseph had to go back to find Him. And he said, they said, what are you doing? And He said, what, didn't you know I need to be about what? My Father's what? Business. I need to be about my Father's business. Jesus was a person who He had a clear sense of kingdom priority. You know, Let's just address this real quick before we get, we're going to get into some teaching. Is that you need to understand this. Too many believers believe that this is what salvation is. Go to an altar, kneel down, shed a few tears, ask Jesus to come into my heart, which is completely unbiblical. It don't say anything about asking Jesus to come into your heart. It says make Him Lord. Okay? But this is the idea. I go to an altar, I cry a little bit, I ask Jesus to, to come into my heart, and then I get up and I live my own life and wait till I die or the rapture. Do you realize how, how much degradation that does to the gospel? Do you, do you realize? I've said this, and I'll say it again, and it's going to smoke some people and I might get blowback on but I'm telling you, one of the most, one of the most, crippling doctrines that's ever been taught from the pulpit of the church is Jesus died on the cross to save you so you could die, go to heaven and live in heaven forever when you died. That's one of the most crippling doctrines that's ever been taught. Why? Because it places the priority on when you die. You know, when you die, get your little fire insurance, baby, so you don't go to hell. And, pe- and, and generation after generation after generation after millions after millions of believers, okay, they got born again. And I'll just go ahead and say it. I said it before and I thought, Lord, was that a little bit too strong? The teaching that Jesus died on the cross so that when you died you could live in heaven forever is probably one of the most damnable doctrines of demons that's ever been taught. Why? Because it has handicapped the church. It has indoctrinated people to think, just get saved and you, know, you can do your own thing. And wait for Jesus to come back. And it's trained people to think that just because they got saved and they asked Jesus to be their Lord or they asked Jesus to come into their heart that everything's hunky-dory and I'm good and I'll see you in the rapture some sweet day. Okay? Now you understand, there is a rapture, praise God. When we die, you know, until Jesus comes back, until there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, you're going to be in heaven. But Jesus did... That is not all Jesus did. Jesus came back to restore the kingdom. He came back, and so when He saved people... Think about it. 
That's been said before, and, it's, and it's all, it almost sounds ridiculous. But if all Jesus wanted to do was get you to heaven, why didn't He just fix it up so that when you went to an altar and you knelt down and you prayed, that you boom, you just disappeared? It's like David Copperfield. You just disappeared. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Well, he's in heaven. Jesus did what He wanted to do. Got him in heaven. No. Looking at Jesus' prayer. You know? Looking at Jesus' prayer, you know, he said, he said, you know, he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your purpose, your plan is to be on this earth until you go home temporarily, till you go to heaven temporarily, but you are advancing the kingdom of God. And remember, kingdom means government, it means influence, it means the control of God. And we're not talking about some, you know, get out and get your picket sign and march in the street kind of stuff. We're talking about your heart, your actions are are guided and influenced and, and your behavior is legislated by God's Word. The Word of the King has power. You live your life in such a way that you don't do your own thing. You, you say, well, in my opinion, your opinion don't matter. Look to the Word. Say, Pastor, you sound like you've got a, a, an attitude. I ain't popping an attitude. I'm just telling you. you live, we live by this. We are not in a, heaven is not a democracy. Heaven is not a, is not a democratically elected republic. You don't get to vote on stuff. The king says it. That's the final word. You do it the king's way or you do it transgressing the law because the king's word is law, okay? And so understand this. God, we have a purpose. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 24. Amen. Are you with me this morning? Praise God. I'm not losing it. Nobody's falling off in the vapor trail, are they? Praise God. Glory to God. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start with verse 24. Amen. Verse 24. Jesus said, well, I'm going to start with verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 25. 625. 24. Uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon, or you cannot serve God in riches. And uh, I'll share this with you. Pastor Earl, I was listening to some teaching he was doing on kingdom economics. And he said, you know, most believers, if you ask them straight up, are you serving God or are you serving riches? Most of them, you know, we're going, of course, I'm serving God. Most people, you know, they'll give a hearty amen. Amen, I know that. You can't serve God in riches. But he asked this question. He said, now look, and this is how I'm saying it. Realize this is not a statement of condemnation. Remember I said one of the things I've taught before on, on spiritual self-examination. You know, doctors talk about when you start getting older that, you know, you need to, you know, if you're a lady, you need to start checking for lumps. If you're a guy, you need to, you know, being aware of what's going on in your body. A healthy self-examination can set you off to potential health hazards that you can go get addressed, Right? You know, you can, you can pray and use your faith. You might have to go see a doctor, go get a diagnosis, find out what it is, and you take active measures to address the issue before it becomes dangerous, right? Okay? And I'm talking about spiritual examination. So the purpose of these questions that Pastor Earl posed and that I'm sharing with you is for a, a healthy spiritual self-examination. He said, he said, you know, he said, talking about serving riches or serving God. He said, if you wake up in the morning and you have cold or flu symptoms in your body, and you don't have any more sick leave at work. You know, you're sick leave. How many of y'all know what sick leave is? You take the day off and you still get paid. But you're out of sick leave and you have flu and, or cold symptoms in your body. And you say, man, I can't afford not to go to work. I'm going to go. And you go to work with cold and flu symptoms. But Sunday morning rolls around 
and you have the same symptoms and you don't go to church? Are you serving God or, or riches? Well, I've got to go to work. Why? Because they pay you? And you can't go to church? Sounds to me like that the money you're getting on the job is more important to you than the Word and the spiritual food that you're getting at church. Okay, here's another one. If you have, you know, you know, we have volunteer positions in the church. We ask people to serve, you know, serve in the nursery, serve as ushers and stuff like that. He, had, you know, this is the question. Okay, if on your secular job, you show up on time every day because you know you'll get docked pay and eventually if you're late long enough, they're going to take you and they're going to fire you. Okay, but you say, Pastor, I'm going I'm, I'm to serve as an usher. I'm going to serve back in children's ministry and you know the department policy is you show up 30 minutes early. You're an usher, you show up 30 minutes early, you're straightening chairs, you're making sure offering buckets in place, and you're praying over your section for the people that are going to come there and sit. Or you're in children's department, and you've got to be there 30 minutes early so you can set up stuff and get stuff going, and you can't never be on time for, your, for the position that you, that, you, that you did, but you can always be on time at work, but you can't show up to fulfill your obligations that you made at the church to serve. And like I said, understand this. This is not, that's not condemning. That's not to condemn anybody. It's, it's, mm, there's a lump there. I better get that checked out. That's all that is. That's all that is. Okay? Understand this. Jesus said, verse 25, he said, Jesus said, because you can't serve two masters, you got, you're either going to love one, hate the other, or serve the one and despise the other. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, uh, to what you shall eat or for, or, or what you shall drink, nor for the body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap, uh, nor do they gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you worth much more than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe now the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious uh, then saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we clothe our, with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles seek, and I always like to point this out when we say the Gentiles, you understand in, in, in this historical context that there was two groups of people on earth, Jews and Gentiles. Now there's two groups of people. It's people that are the sons of God, the children of God, and the lost. Jesus changed it. But you understand this, when you read the word Gentile, it means someone without covenant. Okay, the Jews had covenant with God. Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. He said, for these things, people without covenant eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Verse 33, but seek first what? His what? Kingdom and His righteousness and what? All these things shall be added to you. It said, and this is the kingdom priority that Jesus gave us. Jesus, Jesus, you know, we, were, we talked about purpose. We talked about priority. Jesus sets the purpose and the priority right here. Now, this is generally speaking. Generally speaking, you understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, seek first. That set the priority. The pr- first, not second, not third, not somewhere down the line. Too many believers, too many believers l- living for God. And you understand when pastors... Says this, I really feel like I've got to qualify. Pastor Shine says, You're too apologetic. You just need to lay, lay the wood down and let it fly. Okay? 
I do not equate how good a person's spiritual walk is by how frequently they come to the church alone. Okay? I'm not saying, well, you don't come to church all three services, so you're just not a really good believer. You're just not, I'm not saying that. But now, church, faithful church attendance is part of that. Because the word, the word of the King is not to forsake the assembling together of yourselves. That we come together, okay? So, but what I'm saying is, is the, the priority is set. Too many believers think that living for God is, a, is an at-their-convenience thing. Well, you know, if i got time, I'll do it. If i got time, you know, I, I know we're going to do this thing. But, you know, and too many people, they want to live their own life. And I'm, I'm just going to kick the top off of this more. Some people go, whoo, glory to God, Pastor. Where did you get that from? The Lord showed me something while I was studying and praying over this. Message. I'm going to tell you what. Talk, have you ever heard the saying, talk's cheap? Amen. <laughs> talk is cheap. Okay, so Jesus set the priority. He said, seek first, and then He named the purposes, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you understand, righteousness is not a religious term. Righteousness is a legal term, and it means you're in right standing with the authorities. Okay, so Jesus is saying the first thing, this is your priority. Time demands that this is given attention over competing interests. What, what was that word? It says competing alternatives. Remember this. Priority means that you give it attention before competing alternatives. Jesus said seek first. First, Jesus is saying there's going to be competing alternatives to this, but this is what you do first. You seek first my kingdom, my government, my authority, my rule. Where? In your life and on the earth and His righteousness. And that means being in right standing with the authorities. What's the word of the King? What's the word of God for you? What did God speak to you? And I said generally, generally seeking the kingdom of God. As we, as we know, we can read the Bible. We live according to the word of the King. But then there's a specific purpose for you in the kingdom. Don't be oblivious to it. Do not underestimate the value of the gift that's in you that God placed in you. Most believers have not even scratched the surface of the potential that, uh, of, the, of the gift that God's placed in them. And the, the Bible says in Romans that the whole earth, it, is, it, is, it looks forward to, it's groaning, it is yearning for the revelation of the sons of God. What's that mean? What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about there is a lost world out here that, and that just even the earth itself is groaning for the, for the gift that God placed in you as His child to be revealed and minister life to the world. God didn't just save you to be, you know, holed up in a spiritual foxhole someplace waiting for the helicopter of the rapture to come in and get you out of the firefight. And that's what too many believers think. They're hunkered down in a spiritual foxhole waiting for the rapture when you ought to be going out and, and taking, taking possession of the land. You ought to be, what did Jesus mean when He said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Huh? You understand? Gates are defensive weapon. What's, what's, I mean, gates are for defense to keep people out. So what was Jesus saying? He said, the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against my church. My plan is, is for my kingdom and the increase of my government never to end. That from this point on, it's never looking back. There's not going to be any spikes on the, on the, on the bar chart of the growth and the influence of the kingdom of God. Don't let what's going on in America discourage you about the church. I shared this last week. My pastor in Huntington said that a missionary told him that the new birth rate in China has exceeded the birth rate. What do you mean? People are getting born again faster in China than what they're being born. And if you know anything about China, they're making babies fast. 
And people are getting born again at a quicker rate. Fox News ain't going to tell you that. CNN ain't going to tell you that. They're just going to tell you, this is bad, that's bad. Oh, the president's sorry. The Congress is sorry. This, oh, the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. It could blow up on us any day. They're not going to tell you that. But the increase of God's government and God's influence, it said there'd be no end to it. And it's going to increase. And it doesn't matter. This is the thing. If America turns its back on God... You know what? The, the, the church in, in, in Ephesus, if I'm not mistaken, it was in Asia Minor, in Turkey. And there was a tremendous church there. You read historically, there was a church of hundreds of thousands of believers. Paul founded that church. Guess what? How many Christian churches are in Turkey now? None above ground. If they're worshiping Jesus, they're doing underground. So how did, what happened? Well, something happened. They lost their first love. Isn't that what, isn't that what the Lord Jesus told them in Revelations, we don't need to scratch our head and wonder why is there no huge uh, uh, believers, why is there not a huge uh, Christian influence in Turkey anymore? And I use the word Christian begrudgingly. Why, why is it not there? Well, Jesus told, told them, told John. Told John in Revelations. He said, tell them so they've, le- they've left their first love. And if they don't return to me, I'll remove their lampstand. In other words, I'll I'll remove the gospels there. I'll remove the church. I'll remove the influence of my body. I'll remove the influence of my children there if they don't repent and turn back to their first love. Guess what? There's no church. There's no significant. There's no huge and significant. I'm not going to say none, but there's no huge significant influence of, of the Word of God in Turkey now. Okay. Could that happen? What's your point, Pastor? Could that happen in the United States? Sure, it could. But is that going to change God's word? No. Is that going to is that going to mean? Oh well, you know, God lost one there. Oh shucks, the devil stole that one. No, no, doesn't mean anything. The word says the influence of His government, and His kingdom, there shall be no end. So don't you gauge what's going on in in this country as to the God to God's progress. Amen. God is not going to come out short-handed on this thing. But seek first the kingdom. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom. Okay. Jesus' command, seek first the kingdom, sets the priority. It tells us that attention is to be given to it before the competing alternatives. Okay? In your life. Okay? Take your pick. I mean, I don't know what it is. Let's just say what, you know, anything. Hunting, fishing, car racing, whatever. Take your pick. Take your pick. What's the priority? What is the competing alternative? When the, when the Holy Spirit gives you a little nudge and says, why don't you go read your Bible and then go pray for half an hour? Some people are going, my God, pray for half an hour? Yeah, pray for half an hour. Amen. What if he says an hour? What if he says, you know, what if he says, I mean, how, how long you watch TV in the evening anyway? And you're going to get all freaked out when the Holy Ghost asks you to go pray for half an hour or an hour? Well, I wouldn't know what to pray for an hour. That's why you get filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, amen, and pray as the, let the Holy Spirit give you utterance, amen? Pray as the Spirit gives you utterance, amen? But you understand this. Given God's kingdom priority. Okay? When the church has something planned and we need you there to work, because I am, like I said, I do tie in service, because you understand service in the kingdom, if God's called you to a body, if the church has got an outreach planned and it's already on the calendar and you know about it and somebody calls and says, hey man, you know, uh, I got some free green passes to, you know, to, you know, green feet. I got some free passes to go to play golf on such and such a date. You, you want to go with me? And you go, yeah, man, I'd love to. I love playing golf. Well, wait, wait a minute. But my church is, you know, my church is doing an outreach to to, a, to the poor neighborhood, one of the poor neighborhoods in our town. But man, I really like playing golf, and that's a really expensive golf golf course, and I can go for free. 
won't cost me anything. You know, if I went to pay, it'd cost me you know, $150 to go play golf there if I went and pay for it. You know, what? Are you serving God? Are you serving ching, ching, ching? What's your priority? And you understand this. You set your priority. The priority set, you choose just whether or not to, to do it or not. You choose to whether, whether you're going to follow that priority. Amen? Do you understand this? This is where I'm going to get, get, just twist some people's thinking up here. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you, how many of y'all have heard the Scripture before where Jesus said in that day of judgment, because you understand we're all going to stand before Him, okay? And you understand the Bible says the wicked and the righteous not stand before Him in the same judgment. You know, if, you're not, if you weren't born again, sorry, you ain't going to be there. But then believers, we're going to stand before Him and we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before our King and we're going to give an account of how we handled His resources, how we lived our life, what we did. It's real. It's real. I'm convinced that the majority of the church doesn't believe it's real or the church, we wouldn't live the way we do. We would not live the way we do if we really believed one day when you lay down this earth suit, when your dirt suit dies and your spirit goes back to God and then when we stand before the Lord and we are judged, I'm convinced that most of the church just does not believe it. It's just, well, that's a fairy tale. You know, it's like you know, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah, there's a giant at the top of the Beanstalk and God's going to judge us one day. Okay, we understand that we're going to be just. Did Jesus, just see if this rings, did Jesus say there'll be people standing before me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and didn't we do this in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Okay, talking about giving Jesus priority. And some of you might say, well, how's this verse, what you're getting ready to say, tying to it's giving priority. Understand this, Romans 10, 9. Are you there? <clears throat> How many of you can quote it from heart? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Hmm? If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that God's raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay? And we've watered it down. Because how many of you all know we're good at watering stuff down? Because sometimes the straight medicine's too stout. To, all you've got to do is just, you know, out of your mouth, acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. And, and you'll be saved. Let me let you on a secret. The demons know that. Right. Ain't that what James said? He said the devils know that, that God know who God. You say you believe in God, that's good. He said the demons believe and tremble. Okay? Are they saved? Are they born again? No, they're not. Let's take. I'm, I'm going to give you a little a little poke at this. Okay? It says, <coughs> excuse me. The word confess. Okay, and if you don't believe me, get your Strong's Concordance and you go look this up, okay? You understand that we've always said if you acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, if you look in your Strong's Concordance, that's the second meaning of the word confess. The first meaning is to covenant with your mouth. How many of you all know there's a big difference between covenanting and acknowledging something? You know, we went to a wedding yesterday where vows were exchanged and where a covenant was spoken. And how many of y'all know there's a big difference between, hey, I think you're cute, and till death do us part? Amen. There's a big difference between, ooh, I think you're hot, you're a fine-looking mama, and I'm willing to attach myself, join myself to you, come in covenant with you the rest of our life. Good stuff comes, bad stuff comes. We're in covenant, I ain't going in place because this is a covenant that I make with you. There's a big difference, isn't there? What's your point, Pastor? There is a big difference between acknowledging Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and making a covenant with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Now, let's look at Lord. We just think, well, Jesus, like I said, sometimes we need to think about what we say. 
too many people saying stuff and we ain't thinking about it. We're not realizing the significance of our words. Are we going to be judged by our words? Okay? You understand this? So the word confess, it literally means to make a covenant with. Okay? And you understand that a covenant is an agreement or a promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. Do you see where I'm getting at with this? Do you, do you, do you, are you beginning to see? Is that it's a covenant. It's not just acknowledging, yeah, Jesus is God's Son. He died on the cross. No, no, no. That ain't it. It is making a covenant with your mouth. And the covenant demands action. It demands action. And that action is what? Jesus is Lord. Let's take a look at that. If you confess or covenant with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that word Lord, it literally means supremacy, supreme in authority. It doesn't mean God's Son. Lord does not mean Jesus, uh, Lord, God's Son. It means supreme in authority. So let's, let's, let's read that verse again. It says, it says, um, but what does it say? The word, verse 8 says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. That if you confess, if you covenant, if you make a covenant with your mouth that Jesus is the supreme authority in your life, you shall be saved. Amen. Is that what the word says? It's not just go down to the altar and pity pat around and shed a few little crocodile tears because your wife caught you doing something or your husband caught you doing something or your mama and your daddy caught you doing something. It, you know, you know, you don't even have to cry. Amen. You know what? And you don't even really, the word doesn't even say you have to pray, does it? Here's another one of those traditional, let's just go, kill that sacred cow and make some hamburgers out of that. Where does the Bible even say that you have to get down and pray? It says repent. And what does repent mean? Change the way you think and the way you act. Repent. Remember when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? They said, and he preached, and they all said, Man, what do we need to do? He said, Repent. He didn't say, Let's all just form a prayer line and come down here and let me pray with you. He didn't say, Quick, let's get, an, you know, let's get some wood and let's build an altar and let's let everybody come down and pray. He just said, Repent. Amen. Repent. Change the way you think and act. And that is, you understand, that's the measuring rod of whether someone repented or not. If you repented, then it, repentance demands a change in the way you think, and changing the way you think changes the way you act. And so, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there's been a whole lot of people been uh, short-sold and told, oh, just come to the altar, darling, and, and confess that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And they're not any more saved than anything. And then when they leave the church in a couple of years, we want to say, oh, they backslid. And then we get into that whole, uh, once saved, always said, you know, we get into eternal security. Were they really saved? Were they, are they going to go to hell? Did they even get born again? Did they even, did they even, and you understand, and this is what's important, there's entire denominations that want to beat the drum about get born again, get born again, get born again, get born again. Jesus said that one time. Jesus said that one time at three o'clock in the morning to one man as an example to him to be born again, but how many dozens of times did Jesus say repent? Repent, repent, repent. Dozens of times he, Jesus proclaimed, repent, change the way you think and act, and only one time, as an example to someone, did he say, get born again. But we get all been out of shape, and we want to talk about the born again, the born again, the born again. Repent, repent, repent. Change the way you think, change the way you act. Why? Because you need to begin to think the way the kingdom is, and the kingdom priority is seeking first God, God's kingdom, and His righteousness. Amen? Let me, let me give you this real quick. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Are you, get, are you getting this this morning? Amen? I'm preaching myself happy. I don't know if anybody else is getting it, but I'm about ready to shout. Amen? 
Might scare somebody, wake somebody up if I shout. Right? I did that before, didn't I, Pastor Angie? Amen. I told somebody one time, I said, sometimes I just wait to see people fall asleep and then I shout just to watch them jump. Amen. I'm kidding. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, just want, I'm going to start with verse 3. Jesus is teaching in parables. It says, And He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds uh, fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky places, and they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and because they had no depth of soil, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good ground. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm good ground. Huh? Your pastor prays that every time I speak the word to you. I pray and confess that your heart's good ground. Amen. It says, and it fell on good soil, and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Okay? And then Jesus goes on down at verse 18, and he begins, let me see, Verse 18, and he explains the parable of the sower. Okay, so let's look at verse 18. <clears throat> I'm telling you, some of y'all are going to get something. I'm telling you. I, you know, I was telling, telling Dennis the other day, I said, when you begin to get a hold of the gospel of the kingdom, it'll mess up the way you read the Bible. Somebody's getting, getting ready to get messed up. Jesus says, verse 18, Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. He's going to explain the, the parable. He says, When anyone hears the word of the what? When anyone hears the word of the what? How many times have you read that and not seen that? I'll say this. I'll just go ahead and say this. I've said it before, but we're just going to keep it before you. How many of you all know that the gospel, if we ask people, and I got Dennis the other day, and he didn't think I was ridiculing him. He knew what I said. I said, I said, what's the gospel? And he said, well, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, no, it's not. I said, that's part of it, but that's not the gospel. I said, the death, burial, and resurrection, the crucifixion, the death, and burial of Jesus Christ was what was necessary to redeem mankind. Let's put it this way. It's what was necessary to restore the kingdom to man. What are you saying, Pastor Brian? Why do you say that's, that's not all gospel? Well, the Bible says, let me ask you something. If the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is all the gospel is, the Bible says over in Matthew, you can go ahead and read in the other Gospels, it says that Jesus, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, and after he received the Holy Spirit, and after he was tempted of Satan, it says that Jesus began to go out and to preach the Gospel. How could he preach his death, burial, and resurrection before he was crucified, dead, and rose from the grave? Okay? Some people say, well, maybe he was telling people that he was going to die for them. You read your Bible. The only people he told after three years, he told his disciples, and he didn't tell the people that. He told his disciples and he told them, keep your mouth shut. You don't go out and tell people, I'm telling you this because you're in, you're in my inner circle. But he preached, and you go ahead and you read it, and it says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached the gospel of the kingdom to people, okay? And so you understand this. So Jesus is explaining. He says that anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. And this is the one on whom the seed was sown by the road. I'm going to say this real quick. Let me back up real quick. Pastor Cheyenne and I were talking about this. Now, the church, the, 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 the church background that I came out of, when they taught this, you know, you had the soil by the wayside, the soil that was rocky soil, and you had the seed that was sown among the thorns, and then you had the good ground. When I was a kid growing up, the only way I ever heard it taught was, well, you know, the seed sown by the wayside was people that hear the Word and they don't ever get born again. 
And then the seed that's on rocky soil, it's people that they hear it and they go to church for a while and then when things get rough because they're going to church, they drop out of church and they turn their back on the Lord and they won't live for the Lord anymore. Okay, and then I heard that, you know, the people, that, it, that the seed that fell on, on thorny soil, that when the thorns grew up, that choked the word and became unfruitful, and those people weren't saved. And they said the only people that were saved was the people that heard the word and received it, and it brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Okay? Now, she grew up, and I don't know if she got it from her first uh, church background or, or where she came along saved, but she had always heard that it was... That it, was, that it was always talking about believers. Okay? I'll submit to you, how many of y'all know what dual fulfillment is in the Bible? Sometimes there'll be something in the Bible that there could be two accurate interpretations of it. Okay? So it might be. If someone hears the God, you know, let's just, it depends on the condition of the person. Okay? If they're lost and they hear Jesus died on the cross to redeem you, to give you the power to become a, son, a child of God, and that you can be born again and they don't believe it, then, that, then the enemy's going to come and immediately steal that seed, okay? But what if you're a born-again believer and you hear the gospel preached that you know, by his stripes you were healed, and you go, oh, well, that's not for today. Guess what? Caw, caw, caw. The enemy came in and immediately stole that seed. And you'll never have faith to even pray and believe God because you just don't even know that it's his will. You're not certain about it. And you understand this. People don't think that because somebody goes to the hospital they don't have faith for healing. Because I can tell you, I've seen testimonies of people that spent, that spent months in intensive care unit and doctors going, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And they're going to say, I'm going to live and declare the works of the Lord. And they're up and they're giving their testimony. Okay? So don't just think, well, if they really got healing, they wouldn't even go, need to go to the hospital. Where's that at in the Bible? Amen. Well, that's what some faith preacher said <clears throat> on the faith preacher. Where's the, where's the word at? Amen. Okay? Okay, so now getting back to the parable of the sower, I had just read to you, Jesus said, you know, the one who was by the wayside, um, it said they didn't understand it, they didn't receive it, and the enemy came and he snatched it away. Okay, verse 20 says, And the one, who, uh, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, what word was that? The word of the kingdom. The Lord told me last week when we were in prayer here last week, at 8.30 prayer on Sunday morning, we was praying. The Lord just spoke to me and said, are you ready for persecution? And I'm just going to tell you all something. We are not going to be the most popular church in town. Amen. Because I'm not going to compromise what my conviction is on the Word of God. Okay? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have open hearts, open minds, open doors. Okay? We're going to love people that are, that are in alter, you know, alternative lifestyles, but I'm not going to back off the word where it says, if you live that way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Right. You're not. But you can be redeemed. That sounds real exclusionary. No, no, no. Anybody can come into the kingdom. But you have to want to come into the kingdom, right? You have to, what? Repent. Change the way you think and act. Amen? Verse 1 it says, but, but because of the word, he, he immediately falls away when you get persecuted for it. Oh man, you're gonna have you're gonna get all kinds of brother Dave, I mean Pastor Dave, man, you just talk about he caught some flack. I mean, when you get the brother a flack jacket, he caught so much flack for a posting that he made. He put on it, you know, on his Facebook page, you know, because he knew he had a lot of friends and he was doing it to to uh, to evoke some conversation. But he put on his Facebook page, Jesus did not save me. Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could go to heaven and live forever. Oh, he got some conversation, didn't you, Pastor Dave? Amen. <laughs> But persecution will come before the word, and that person they fall away. Okay, 
Verse 22, and I'm going to concentrate right here. It says, And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, I'm going to say this. Like I said, I firmly believe that this is talking about believers. You're never going to convince me that it's talking about someone that's not born again. Because this is why. I remember when I was a kid growing up, we, we didn't have a farm, but we kept a vegetable garden. And we had the little, little morning glories and other little types of vine plants that would grow in our garden. And we could plant corn. And guess what? If I wasn't diligent to do what my daddy told me to get out there and hoe that corn and not chop it down, amen, those vines, you know, those little morning glories, they look pretty little flowers, look like a little purple trumpet or a little pink trumpet when they open up and they close up in the afternoon. They're so pretty, but guess what? They wrap around that corn plant and, choke the, and take the, the nourishment out of the ground and choke that corn and make it unfruitful. Well, guess what? Is it not a corn plant just because the vine grew around it? It's still a corn plant. You could, you could take a little sample, of, take a little slicing of it and send it off to a lab and they could do research on it. Go, yep, that's a corn plant. You can walk down the field and look at it and see, it, see one that's not choked by the vines and you can see a full-grown one that's got ears of corn on it and you can go see the little puny one that got choked down by the vines and say, that's a corn plant. Boy, it just didn't make any, it did, didn't produce any fruit because the vines grew up around it and choked it and stole the nourishment from the soil that the corn should have been getting. It restricted the growth of the plant and it prevented it from ever bringing forth fruit. Okay? Let me, let me give you something here, okay? Verse 22 says, and, and the cares or the concern, the worries or the cares of the world, I believe the King James says the cares of the world. Let me read it to you this way. And the competing alternatives of the world. Remember what we said about priority? Priority is something that's given attention before a competing alternative. And when you're setting priorities, there's competing alternatives. Let's just read it that way. And the cares or the competing alternatives of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it and make it unfruitful. Okay? Competing alternatives. The, the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, those are, those are competing alternatives. And you know what? And what's the deceitfulness of riches? It says the, the deceitful. It says it says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of riches? You understand this? First of all, it's saying the, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches don't make you unfruitful in the kingdom of God. Amen. It's the deceitfulness of it. There's nothing. God doesn't have a problem with you having money. It's it's the and money doesn't make you unfruitful in the kingdom. It's the deceitfulness of riches, not the riches. Let's make that clear. It is not having money. It's not having riches because you wait and see. I'm going to have some. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have some, and it's not. And I'm not going to be deceived by it. This is the thing, though. Well, how can I how can I say that? I can say it on the authority of God's word because God's word says if I seek first His kingdom, He's going to add those things to me. Okay? Well, don't look like, you know, what, what about now? What about this? What's it look like now? Let me see your W-2 now. What did you make last year? What's that got to do with anything? You're going you're gonna to look at a W-2 and give it more credit than what God's Word says? God's Word says if I seek His kingdom first, that He'll add those things to me. Okay? But you understand this. It is the deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of riches? The deceitfulness of riches is pursue me first. Pursue me first. Come after me. You know you ain't going to get none if you don't come chasing after me. You're not going to get you know you're not going to get yours. Look, everybody else out there they got theirs. You know, people watching what cribs or pimp my ride or something like that. And you watching, you got you got to guard your heart. We just we spent four weeks talking about being brainwashed and and, got, and guarding your thoughts. This Wednesday we just talked about setting up filters. You got to watch yourself. You don't want to sit down and watch something that's going to get you into covetousness and greed, Amen. make you feel relative deprivation. 
Here's some, some of you might be interested in this. Some of you might not at all. It's so funny to me. You know, when I was taking uh, my, my, you know, my bachelor's degrees in government and my concentrations on international studies, okay, and a history minor, some of you feel like, dear God, I'd have hung myself in college if I had to take those classes. I liked it, okay? Do you want to know when, when people, when all this fervor in third world countries, when people start really having uprisings about, you know, when people start, they start wanting more and more and more and they start getting politically unstable and all this political instability and all this anger and rioting and all this stuff was going on. Was, it's so funny to me because you can go over to the Middle East, you can go to some third world country that, you know, is in poverty and you see satellite dishes stuck on the side of mud huts. Little stick houses and you see a satellite dish stuck on the side of it. And so they turn it on their TV and they're, you know, okay, and this is years and years ago, and they're watching Dallas. And they're watching these other TV programs that are, that are showing the characters that are living in opulence and, and living in a mansion and I got this, that. And, the other. and then guess what? There's this thing called relative deprivation. What do you mean relative deprivation? Well, if you lived in a little isolated village someplace and everybody you knew lived in a mud hut and, and shepherded goats, all your friends lived in a mud hut, all your friends were shepherds, you're like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm... I'm I'm pretty much equal with my peers here. Everybody I know lives in a mud house and, and herds sheep or goats or whatever. Okay? Then all of a sudden, you know, this wonderful blessing of technology. They stick this little satellite thing on the side of your house and, and you get you a little TV. You know, you say, you may get you a little TV and you turn it on and you see people living in mansions and, and going out in their yachts. And they have their big fancy cars. And you start looking around at your little mud hut and your goats. And you stink like a goat. And you stink like a sheep. And these people, they living up. And all of a sudden, guess what? You thought you, you were rich in your village because you, you had more goats than anybody. You had twice as many goats as the next closest guy. You were a big man on campus. And you turned on TV and saw you didn't have it near as good as what you thought. Mm, I'm not happy. Something's got to change. I've got to get after it. I thought I was doing pretty good. And, I buy, and, that, and that's one of the things that contrib- has contributed to a whole lot of the political instability in a lot of these countries is because as long as the people didn't know there were people out there living at high levels of opulence, how many of you know the TV shows do not faithfully represent the typical American lifestyle? Amen. Even though in America, even the poorest people in America, we got it better than most people in the world and we're still ungrateful. Okay? But you understand that that's the deceitfulness of riches. It's an example of it. And it can destroy whole nations. It can cause revolutions. It can cause instability in a region. Why? Because, because the deceitfulness of riches. Pursue me. Chase me. Chase me. And then guess what? What's Jesus saying in the parable? Is that the kingdom's first. Let's, keep, let's go back and let's keep it all back on track. And I'm going to wrap this up, okay? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, the government, the authority, the rule of God. Seek it first. Generally, specifically in your life, because you understand governments are created to to pass legislation and laws for the protection and welfare of their subjects. Like I said, sometimes we just need to think about what we're talking about, understand the terms, because we think we understand something because we use it all the time and in context, but you still don't know what it means. Governments legislate laws for the protection and welfare of their citizens. Okay, seek first the kingdom, the government, the authority of God in your life. That means the laws he legislates and he passes, you realize that his rules and his laws are not 
they're not gre- they're not grievous, they're not harmful, but they're he's setting perimeters and boundaries for you to prosper and do well in his kingdom and maintain your righteousness, your right standing with him. Sure, can people get rich in the world doing things the world's way? There's lots of people that are rich and they've sold drugs, they've stabbed people in the back, they've climbed the corporate ladder, ladder cutting throats and kicking dead bodies off as they went up. And they're rich and they're wealthy. What's the Bible say over in was it Mark chapter was it Mark chapter seven? Mark chapter 8, 36, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? So Jesus was giving you, yeah, you can, you can have success if you call just getting money success. Okay? You can gain, let's put it this way, you can gain prosperity and riches in the world doing it the world's way because there's a world's way that, that will produce success, quote success, okay? Because people do it every day. But then guess what? What's it going to profit them when they lose their soul? But the kingdom way is, Seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness and then all these other things are added to you. Okay? They're added, not taken away. I'm, real quickly, Paul, I'm just going to mention this. Paul, you understand it's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can read about it. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul said, I do not run my race aimlessly or without a goal or without a purpose, if you will. And purpose demands priority. Okay? Paul said he didn't run his race aimlessly, but he gave it priority. And you understand this, Paul did not live a do-your-own-thing life. Paul did not live a do-your-own-thing life. From the very time when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, Jesus told him, he said, go here, get in the house, and, and, and wait till someone, someone's going to come and tell you what you're supposed to do. And the Lord sent Ananias to tell him. You know what, I'm firmly convinced that most believers that don't know what their purpose is, they, they, they have not pursued God, they've not been quiet long enough to listen and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Why? Because they're competing alternatives the things they want to do. Your competing alternatives are real enticing to you and we don't want to give up our competing alternatives because sometimes what God might ask you to do might mean that you set your priorities and you give preference to the thing God has said and one of the competing alternatives that it might be something nice, it might not be something that of itself is a sin, even a sin. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that you're not willing to give up drinking. I'm not saying you're not willing to give up running around. I'm saying the thing of itself might not even be a sin, but because you've let that competing alternative be something that bumps into the prioritized spot that God said this is number one, then that thing becomes a sin, and it becomes a weight to you, and it becomes something that chokes you and makes you un- unfruitful. But but you understand, Paul he didn't li- he he said you know he said Lord, remember what he said he said he said Lord Jesus supreme supreme authority, you know who are you I'm Jesus now go here and wait till I tell you what to do and and God had a purpose and a mission for him. Real quickly we're going to end this. This is a good y'all. This is a good message. Okay, this is not beat you down. Ephesians chapter five. Okay. What should we do? And all of this was to bring you to this point. Like when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he preached, he preached, he preached. The Bible says that people's hearts were convicting them. They were like, mm. And what is conviction? It is when the Word's being presented, when you're hearing the Word, and it's bringing you to the point where a decision has to be made. Do I repent? And you understand repenting? Yeah, that doesn't mean you got to come to the altar and cry and blubber. It just means you change the way you think. There's a paradigm shift. I don't live for myself. If Jesus is Lord, He's supreme authority. What He says goes. What if you don't like it? Don't matter. Amen. That, that's a real pat answer. But you know, what if God asked me to do something I don't want to do? Tough. 
you got to choose. Am I going to be obedient or am I going to be in rebellion? And when you get in rebellion, if you refuse in rebellion, you know, rebellion, sin says, rebellion says the sin of witchcraft. And what, what did God tell the children of Israel? If you refuse and rebel, you'll be destroyed. When you get over in just blatant rebellion. So this, but this is the good part of it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Let me, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to verse 14. It says, For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk or how you live your life, not as unwise men. Okay, what's the unwise men? Unwise men build their house on the sand. The wise man builds his house on the rock. Jesus said you build your house on the rock. You hear the things I say and you do them. Okay? It says, you know, the New Living Translation says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Verse, go ahead to verse 16 in the New King James Version. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is, you know, what do we do? What am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. Redeem the time because the days are evil. What God has spoken to you, are you seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness? Are you, are you even looking to God for God, what's my purpose? Are you willing to say, to begin to pray and say, God, what is my purpose? And realize that if the King speaks to you, because you're in the kingdom, and realize if the King speaks to you, and it means radical change of course, that you do it. I'm not doing what I want to with my life. I'm doing what the King has, has told me He wants me to do. Why? Because I belong to Him. There's nothing that I have, nothing that I'll ever own that does not belong to God. And you think I, I'm kidding. Some people say, oh, I just don't believe you're there's nothing. There's no material possession that I own that if God told me and I know it was God and God said, give it away, that I'm not going to do it. Because there might be somebody else in the kingdom that needs it worse than I do. There might be somebody... And this is the thing you understand. God is not in the place of just depleting you and leaving you penniless and broke. God knows that if He can get you to hear His voice and to give something away and to do it, that He's going to bless you for it. Huh? He's going to bless you for it. But what is it? He's Lord. He's King. It means we are to redeem the time. He's boss. What He tells us to do, you do it. You understand the word redeem, it means to buy up, to ransom, and listen to this. To rescue from loss. Remember what I said when we were first getting started. You've only got so much time to do, to, to live your life in. You, from the time you're born till the time you die, you've only got a certain amount of heartbeats. You've only got a certain amount of seconds. You've only got a certain amount of minutes and hours. And you've got a purpose whether you've discovered or not. You have to, this is the thing, you have to overcome the fear because I'm convinced a lot of believers are, like I said, they're scared to ask God, what's my purpose? Because God's pur- God might say, go to Haiti. God might say, go to Columbia. God might say, go over here. God may say, get out and you know, sell that business and start doing this. God might tell you to you know, leave this company and go to work for this company even if it's less money. Would God do that? Yes, He would, but you understand, it's not to keep you broke. It's a setup. Because if you'll be obedient and you listen to... This is the thing. I told so I was sharing with someone this week. Pastor Cheyenne and I, ever since we've been married, we have lived at a higher standard of living than what our... To look at paper, what our finances said we should have. And some people just go, well, you know, it's because her mama helped you a lot and your family's giving... Yeah, her mama's been a blessing to us. My family's been a blessing to us. But I'm going to tell you what. God will, cause, God will cause blessings to hunt you down. You honor Him 
And I shared with them one, one of the reasons, I won't tell you that, but one of the reasons that God has done it is because we honor Him with our whole life. And I know that Pastor Cheyenne is sold out. If I told her God told me to start a church on the moon, she'd be looking to book tickets. She'd be calling NASA to see how you could book tickets. And if they weren't selling tickets, she'd be looking for to buy spare parts to build a rocket and get there. Amen. Why? Because the way we think is, He's Lord, He's Master, He is the supreme authority, and so that's what we need. To, and, and so to redeem the time, and this is the thing: don't worry about, and don't beat yourself up and go, "Oh, Pastor, I've wasted so much time." Was the Eagles? Didn't the Eagles sing a song about all those wasted years? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, oh, I've always been saved, Pastor. I never listened to the Eagles. Okay. <laughs> We'll have an altar call for liars, okay? Amen? Don't, do not beat yourself up. This is not a condemning message. This is not, you sorry thing. Look at all the time you've wasted not putting the kingdom first. That's not it. All this is, it's awake thou that sleepest, right? We just read that. Awake thou that sleepest and Christ will give you light. Realize from this point on, wait a minute. My life has a purpose. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe you don't really know what it is. But your life has a purpose, and, and the purpose, the general purpose is seeking first the kingdom. The minor stuff, you've got to pray and seek God to fill that in and find out what that is. And so let's stand this morning. Amen? And you understand, if I'm doing my job right, what do I say? If I'm doing my job right, I'm teaching you in a way that it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge you to step up. It's going to challenge you to action, right? It's going to provoke action. And if you're receiving... You, you know, you're not going to throw up a shield. You're not going to, mm. I, I think he was just talking straight to me. I wasn't talking straight to anyone this morning, okay? I'm just speaking what the Lord gave me, okay? And just examine yourself and, and, and just, just pray a prayer. Just, and say, just pray this with me. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I just ask you to give me a greater revelation of my purpose for you. Lord, I know that I'm to seek your kingdom first. But Lord, show me in my life specifically what I am to do, what my purpose is. And Lord, give me the strength to pursue it with all my heart. In Jesus' name.